When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey folks, just a quick production note here. We recorded the pod last night right before the news of Grant Williams' suspension came out. And it's always the way for us. We record a pod and think, oh, I'll just edit it in the morning. And then something happens. The same thing happened a few weeks ago. We recorded a pod. Woke up the next morning and had to toss it because the Ime Udoka news had just broken. Anyway, if you want my opinion on the Grant Williams suspension, um, largely bullshit, I will say. I've zapruded the footage and I think it's pretty clear that the contact is unintentional. I get that the NBA, like, they feel like they need to send a message and have a hardline stance. How about send a message that you're not completely incompetent when it comes to things like this? Meanwhile, we're really going to miss Grant in this upcoming game against the Cavs. Obviously, he's a key part of the rotation now, but just with the size of the Cavs, it probably wasn't unreasonable to think that Grant might have started in this game or at the very least played really heavy minutes. Now we're likely to be subjected to more Noah Vonley, which is increasingly a bad thing. Anyway, plenty of discussion on that in this podcast, among other things. All right, that's it. Enjoy it. What is up with the Celtics' defense? Nikola Vucevic looks like Moses Malone as the Bulls come back and beat the Celtics, and Jalen Brown parts ways with Donda Sports. Good call, Jalen. All of that next on First to the Floor. Who is going to be first to the floor here? And it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's not the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice his body. Hey, hey, welcome back into another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well, which uh, you may not be if you're dwelling on this last game against the Bulls. Pretty brutal turn of events there. Joining us to talk all about it, our New Zealand correspondent, Joe, aka No Scrooge McFly. How are you, Joe? Yeah, not bad, Ben. Um, how are you going, mate? I feel, we feel like we've saved all our catch-ups for the, for the show, you know? How's yeah, absolutely. The How's the family? Kids Family's sleeping? good. Yeah, no, the kid is not sleeping. She's two and not sleeping at all. Uh, But other than that, the family's good. Everyone's happy and healthy and uh, none the wiser to my uh, internal (laughs) internal sadness with regards to the Celtics. What about yourself, Joe? How's our newly married life? Yeah, it's good, man. Should have done it ages ago, eh? (laughs) (laughs) That's the spirit. How good is double income, no kids? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, I have been there and it is the best. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we had a great time. Which we, yeah, I think I told you we went to the states. Hey, I've covered. Yeah, that that's off. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and that look, was if cool. The, if the kids do come, they they do dry up that income very quickly. So enjoy the Dinks lifestyle while you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we will, we will. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good to have you back on, man. And look, uh, thanks to those listeners joining us on YouTube, uh, which is the place to be really for this pod, as we've lately been in the habit of running clips and replays and all kinds of visual stimuli. 
Uh, we'll try and be as verbose as possible for those OG audio pod listeners out there. All right, Joe, Monday night, Boston time, the Celtics, they get up early on the balls, up by 19, then end up losing by 18, thanks in part to a 35-15 second quarter in favor of the Bulls. Joe, the Celtics looked amazing in like the first eight minutes of the game. From that point onwards, what happened? Oh, I don't actually know. <laughs> all, I <can laughs> great, say, great start. <laughs> all I can say is there's certain, you know, I feel like the the niche I've carved on the podcast is these like avuncular little um little catchphrases. And yeah. there's a ready catchphrase. Beware the early lead. You just mm-hmm. gotta beware the early lead. You did chime um, in on our Slack with that exact catchphrase. Of course, yeah. And when you go up 20 in the first quarter, it doesn't normally stay that way. And um, there's a whole rest of the game to be played. I think um, probably probably the bigger concern, if there, if, if any, um, of the game that I saw, it did look like pretty minimal ball pressure. Like mm-hmm. it, just, it just felt like at the point of attack, things were pretty easy for the Bulls. Um, it's hard to explain like why it can be I mean, I don't know that we've had a standout defensive performance so far this year, but we certainly had and have had in prior years. Maybe just not the don't have the comfort levels of knowing a shot blocker's back there. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard, right? Uh, as I'm sure for the Celtics and his fans, we had this defensive prowess, right? And you know, the the uh, ranking in offense sort of it was always fluctuating. Our defense uh, now we just don't have that same identity. I think we're 24th overall mm. in defense uh, per cleaning the glass for any NBA stats website and probably a lot of people watching the game as well, just from the eye test. Um, yeah, we just don't have that part of our, our identity in those first three games. You know, we've played some pretty shithouse teams, particularly Philly, a terribly shithouse team, and we're able to use our offense to to get on top of those guys. And then we face, you know, Vucevic, who, you know, I set up the top there, looked like Moses Malone with his rebounding and his pick and roll attack. And uh, and suddenly our defense is is nowhere to be seen. To me, Joe, there was a moment, right? I think it was about seven minutes 50 into the first quarter. At that point, Tatum had 15, 3, and 3. The Celtics were absolutely cooking. They were locked in on both ends. And the defense to that point did look really good. Like they were switching really well. Al was really solid in his drop coverage and getting back and, you know, covering the the roll man, but also like blocking passing lanes with his, with his big long arms. Then there was a timeout. And I think... Horford and Tatum came out of the game. Then shortly after that, Brown and Smart came out of the game as well. And then, then the defense really started to suffer. Was there something other than Vonley coming in? Maybe it is Vonley coming in. Was there something that happened at that moment to you that, like, why, why the sudden <laughs> foot off the gas moment? Ben, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't watch the first quarter. <laughs> I'm an <laughs> uncredentialed fan. You I feel like you should be telling me. Ben, what do you think happened? I should be the yeah. Ben, tell me, mate, what what went on? I mean, it's it's hard. It's it's hard to put your finger on the pulse at this point where we don't fully know this current iteration of the Celtics. Like we're just now getting mm. used to them four games into the season. But I mentioned Vonley. He was terrible. He like <laughs> any time he was put into any action at all, and then some other times as well. He was fouling. He racked up. I think all of his fouls, or at least five fouls, very, very quickly in very limited minutes. But, I mean, Smart came out, Tatum came out, Holford came out, and suddenly we just lacked that defensive cohesion. Mm -hmm. And the the team didn't seem to be able to to put it together on that. And 
which led to a lot of transition points for the Bulls, which led to a lot of frustration for the Celtics, and they just let go of the rope and they didn't really seem to be able to to pick it back up again. That That's my take on it. You could put it down to it was their third road game in four nights, which I think is definitely a factor, particularly this early in the season when you go from it's like off-season, 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 everyone's chilling out, we're not going anywhere, we're barely traveling, suddenly... We're zipping about all over the place. We're back into like full-on regular season mode, and to have that kind of a lengthy road trip this early on might come into play. But you know, chasing guys around screens, Al Horford's lack of effort defensively in that drop coverage as the game went on, and then no one really being able to come off the bench and add anything significant, I think, just led to um, the guys just giving up in the end. That's my take. Mm. Anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I guess. You know, basketball's a very emotional game, right? And it can be very hard to, you know, get yourself out of a mental rut when you carve a bad one in the middle of a game. Um, I think I I guess w- w- what we're on the lookout for at this point is like losing to Chicago is not a big deal. Getting blown out is, is, is not a nothing. It's a below expectation performance. And, you know, I'm probably going to continue to return to the same themes that I always have, right? Which is just along the lines of, you know, happiness is an expectation, or was it reality minus expectations, something like that. And um, so far, well, actually, what do you think would be our standings against expectations right now? So, like, not kind of like against the spread, but like your own personal spread. Like, I feel like the, the Philly performance, like, let's not gloss over it actually because we still expect them to be good right yeah so i'd call that you know plus one against expectations i felt like the miami game was you know probably at least a tie maybe a slight we'll call it a plus orlando probably a little bit of a minus maybe call it a tie and this one was Mm -hmm. definitely a minus so we're like two and one against expectations our expectations record if you like you know so it's a loss it's a loss but we're still two and one overall against my expectations, so it's pretty good. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. I think, particularly this early in the season, where there there are like this sort of build up of um, you know, in the win and loss column to to really be able to. I know, Joe, you're um, you really subscribe to the I'm not going to pass judgment until we get to at least twenty games into the season kind of guy. So that's that's yeah, a really good need, way of looking at it at this point. You do need twenty games to know, but of course, you know, as we're saying in the group chat, you know. It's useless to anybody, like, having a take after it's obvious to everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's, it's like you know, like, if I was to tell you that Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, it's not that useful a piece of information to you at this point. <laughs> it could and be to t- some people. The LeBron <laughs> stands out there. They need to be reminded. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? It's like, if you're yeah. going to have a useful bit of information, you kind of got to be a little ahead of the curve. And so you got to yeah. try and see things happening early. I would say I'm disappointed to see a blowout this early. Um, but um, if it's the only blowout we have in 20 games, that's okay. But if we get to, you know, say we're 12 and 8 after 20 games and five of the five of the eight losses have been really bad, I'll be ringing the alarm bells for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I'll be saying this team's not what I thought it was because it's below expectations. At this point, it's okay. We're okay against expectations, I think. 
Yeah, so gut feeling based on what you've seen so far, particularly in this Bulls game, like do you feel are you dreading this upcoming game against the Cavs, for example, or do you, has it really deviated the the course of your expectations as far as like what you think we're going to see over the next couple of weeks from this team? No, no, I still think we should be one of the. My expectations are that we'll be one of the best, if not the best, team in the regular mm-hmm. season. It's pretty hard actually, like as a fan, like. These sorts of seasons when we're expected to do good because it's all downside, right? Like if we win 55 games, I'm not going to be like just ecstatic about the season, right? It's going to be kind of at roughly expectation, you know, maybe a little more. I know it's more than the the Vegas over-under thing, but um, yeah. Do you know what I mean though? It's like it's like all, all downside risk against expectations in seasons like this because you've got high expectations to start with. How are you managing that, Ben? How you? I feel like oh, we need to. We need to. Well. We need to prep you. You know, we need to get you. Give you some some tools in your mental toolbox to help. That's you get the only reason I do this podcast is to be prepped by people such as yourself and and the other guys. Um, yeah, expectations they're going to be hard to to uphold this season. But you know, can we talk about things that have unexpectedly exceeded expectations this year, Joe? Yeah. Because that, that's helping. And I think the Jays, both of them, but especially Tatum. And this has been an ongoing conversation between you and me and Jackson, particularly over the last like five years now. Like, is is Jason Tatum that guy? Can he be that guy? And I'm always kind of like proding and probing you, Joe, being like, oh, I mm. think he can be. And you're, you like always come back with a more well-rounded like, well, you know, if you think about <laughs> these player comps... And, you know, what his ceiling is, like, he's never really going to be a Kevin Durant. Like, he's, he's never really going to be uh, a world-bending player, as you've described it before, Joe. And yet, like, the defense has sucked. And I've got some clips here, which, you know, if it comes to it, we can run on the defense in the Bulls game. But Jason Tatum, certainly defensively, individually speaking, offensively, just in his approach to the game, the fact that he's hitting his shots, like, this early in the season for the first time in his life, he is playmaking. He's bringing the ball up in transition. He is just such an important like component of the team. He's initiating so much offensively, and he's so much more in control than I think we've been used to seeing him in in the past. He really looks like like he's in command on the court whenever he's out there. That's exceeded my expectations so far. I didn't expect to see that from him. Maybe this early in his career. Certainly not this early in the season. Is that ringing any bells with you, Joe? Like, has that exceeded expectations for you? Yeah, I don't think it's unfair what you're saying. I think he's definitely an improved player, as as you would expect, going from what he must be age 24 to age 25. And what what how old was he? he was 19 and 2017, right? So, so yeah, so he'd be in his age 25. He'd be turning 25 this year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. He to me, he looks more in control, finishing around the basket. Um, I think. Like a cool little measure for him will be how many offensive fouls he picks up. He picks up some really bad, predictable offensive fouls when he gets himself into trouble. Um, he looks, um, yeah, he looks a bit more decisive and a bit more willing to play through contact. Um, I was listening to this podcast though. I, I keep coming back to probably trying to say the same thing five different ways, but I, I listened to this podcast just recently and they talked about how like um, when really talented individuals have this like hyper competitive advantage in in an area that 
competitive advantage becomes the thing that they can build everything else off, right? So like Steph Curry has this hyper advantage in shooting and that means that everything else in his game is positively accentuated by that, right? Because of that threat, right? I don't, I just, maybe that's another way of trying to, maybe it's a better way of describing world bending players, you know? Um, I don't see Tatum as this guy that has this incredible competitive advantage that is able to like is like the kind of the main trunk off which everything hangs. You know, I think I think he's really, 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 really good, and I think he's, you know, last year proved that he's good enough with this team to be a contender. Um, um, like I've changed from being like oh, I think we should really look at trading Tatum to be like, nah, no point. We're a contender. Mm-hmm. Just, but we just have to accept some probable limitations there. You know, our our dude is not on the level of Kevin Durant. <laughs> he's yeah. our dude, though, you know? And I, I don't yeah. want to trade him. I hear you. Like, his, his uh, skill level and so many attributes of his game has really rocketed up, but none of them have really, like, skyrocketed to... To your point, uh, Joe, to yeah, where yeah. like it has its own gravity that you know where that he can yeah. kind of work off of that someone defends that part of his game so hard that he can get into other parts of his bag. If like knowing his game well, like we are unofficial experts of the Jays, having watched them like so of such high focus, credentialed experts. On yeah. us, if there are yeah. credentials on the Jays, like we deserve them. That is one hundred percent factual. Um, what what part of his game do you think? could emerge or if you had to pick a part of his game that might emerge to that elite, you know, um, has its own gravity style level, what part of Tatum's game could you see getting to that point? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm going to ask it of you. I was going to rip off of you. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll give it, I'll volunteer an answer. I think the most obvious thing that he, the, the thing he's closest to is as a shooter off the dribble. That's what he's closest to. But um, I say that, and then on the other side of my mouth, I'm saying, yeah, but I don't think he's like, he's not Curry shooting off the dribble. He's got great mm-hmm. size, but he's not seven foot. He's six, nine, six, ten. You know, all these things are really good in the makeup of a really good player. Um, yeah, closest though, like it's not playmaking. Um, though he's a perfectly adequate playmaker, um, it's not. Rebounding. I think it's the shooting. I think it's got if he if he can yeah, bump his percentages by like five five percent, where well, he just has just that little bit of additional gravity because his playmaking is is so good. If he just ha- if it was just like a legitimate threat, you know, we see that sidestep occasionally. It doesn't always go down, uh, and then he's shooting off the dribble as well. And I'm not obviously looking at his stats here, but I feel like he's not like an amazing spot up shooter either. Mm. Uh, and certainly not at getting himself to that position where he can, you know, he can get a, a wide open spot up shot. I feel like if he could just raise his percentages there and, and, and just suck the defense in just a little bit more, suddenly his playmaking, which he is already incredible at, is opened up a lot more. That becomes a counter threat. That pulls people away from him again. Then the shot percentage is, is again, like a heightened threat. I feel like if he can just be more of a threat shooting-wise, then that would really mm. open things up for him. But he's just, I don't know, maybe I've, I've just watched too much Tatum and, and sort of obsessed over him and, and, um, and you know, commiserated all the misses that we've seen in, in stretches throughout his career. But I just don't feel like he's like that elite a shooter. Am I crazy? No, 
I don't, I don't think there's. I mean, you're talking to. I'm not. I'm trying not to be like a skeptic or an apologist here. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm really trying to run it down the middle of the line. But mm-hmm. there's nothing terrifying. I don't think about Jason Tatum's. You know, there's no aspect of his game that just terrifies you as an opposing fan. You know, he's really, 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 really good. But you know, it's similar. Like, were you ever terrified of Paul George? You know, when you're going up against him, the guy can definitely beat you. Yeah, I. That probably speaks to the kind of fan that I am. But yeah, I was terrified of Paul George. Like, <laughs> but I feel like he, he's had some pretty good clutch shooting moments against the Celtics, where I just felt like he couldn't miss. Um, but doesn't have, you know, if we if we load up on him defensively appropriately. So if he is hot in the clutch, he doesn't have that sort of counter playmaking addition to his game that Tatum has. So you know, like I said, if Tatum can. Elevate his shooting percentages. I feel like with the playmaking elements to his game, it can really be at that really elite, world-bending level. So he's close. But yeah, to answer your question, I have at times been terrified by Paul George. <laughs> well, have you, you know, have you been not? great answer. No, no, personally, no. Like, whereas <laughs> I just sort of feel like, man, if Kawhi catches it and gets a shoulder bump and it's at the free throw line, I feel like that's a bucket every mm-hmm. time. If Giannis catches it going right to the hoop. I just, you know, you just know that it's two points probably here, you know? Like, there's just a feeling of inevitability that I don't know that I would have if I was a fan uh, of an, of another team watching Tatum. But that's certainly, to me, the skill that he's closest to a leader. He does have great natural touch. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess, um, man, it's, it's hard. It sort of seems like, so it seems like the percentages don't quite describe, the, like Steph Curry will shoot at, what, 45%. It's only like, you know, over the course of 500, how many threes will they attempt in a year? Like, I don't know, if he's attempting 10 a game, that's 800, right? Mm-hmm. So over the course of a year, 800 threes, uh, 5% difference, right? That's like 40 threes made. That's one extra a game. It's, it's, it's sort of like that... I feel like I'm stealing a, a take from someone when I say this, but like that number of threes made over the course of a, a year, it's, it's half a three extra a game, right? Sorry, an extra 5%, right? So um, do you know what I mean? It's like that half a three extra seems to add be the difference between terror mm-hmm. when someone catches the ball and, and, oh, no, we need to cover that up, but not terror. You, do you know what I mean? It's like the the statistical difference in the percentages don't seem to quite correspond to the level of threat, right? Like yeah. Steph Curry is only, you know, if he's shooting 45% and the next guy's shooting 40, it doesn't feel like he's like one-eighth more terrifying. It feels like he's like flipping five times more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I don't absolutely. know why that is, you know? Uh, it's a, I think it's above our pay grade. But I, I understand what you're saying. It's it's difficult to quantify, um, and it's why we could spend all night sort of going over the minutia of Tatum's game and why he is or isn't a particular thing. I, I've already made the YouTube thumbnail for this episode, Joe, so I've got to make it a little bit more ballsy. The thumbnail is very ballsy, so I want to run a couple of clips from the game and see if we can break down exactly what happened with the defense. So the first clip I've got here, and apologies, I forgot to strip out the audio, so we're going to have to listen to this one. This is the oh. early, I know, what a drag, early game defense from the Celtics. And as you'll see and hear, unfortunately, uh, they're very they're very on point in this particular clip. Back 
Levine. He lost some explosiveness. That's the question. Tatum the rebound. Well, Billy Donovan now off the bench, <laughs> pacing the sidelines a little bit. Uh, that shot was one shot away from yeah, calling a timeout. Assume with a miss. Yeah, the closer Billy Donovan creeps to half court. But, like I said, Jason continuing to reiterate, all I'm concerned about is getting back to the NBA Finals and getting over that hump. Sean? Abby, have you noticed that he's not smiling at all? And I mean that in a good way. DeMar DeRozan closes in on 20,000 career points. Not likely to get it tonight. Patrick Williams. He's been. All right, so a lot of Derek White there early on. The Bulls did go hard at Derek White. I think their first four possessions, they went directly at him trying to score because he's the quote-unquote perimeter weakness in our defense. They were unsuccessful, and we saw Al Horford in drop defending a couple of pick-and-rolls in that clip as well, and just very active. You can hear the communication among the team. You can, you can just, there's a sense that they're locked in, and they're successful. You know, obviously, we didn't see any Bulls scores in that clip. Very, very good. And that's what we've sort of come to expect over the last couple of years of the Celtics going back to the Brad Stevens sort of instituted identity, the defensive identity of this team. Now I'm going to run a clip from the defense as soon as just later in the first quarter, and we'll make a comparison. So <laughs> there's no audio on this clip, so I'm going to talk over it. But essentially, we can see Grant Williams shit the bed there and get well up in the sky. But then you see Marcus Smart dropping back to defend uh, to Sunmu there, and, and just like there's no, there's no effort in his coverage. And then similarly here in defense, Sam Hauser just like needs to get the fuck back and defend the rim. Just doesn't as well. Well, he needs to stop the ball. Like that's what yeah. they teach you, right? Like in fast yeah, break defense, no- stop the ball, make him, make it, get rid of it, you know? Yeah. Mm. So to me, it's an absence of effort. We see Al Horford just get trucked over there trying to defend the pick and roll. Again, like we saw a very similar action in that first clip. He had no trouble defending it. Uh, now he's just getting completely trucked over. It. And unfortunately here, we haven't seen a lot of it, but Sam Hauser getting exploited defensively by by Zach Levine there. So mm. few holes in the defense and, you know, Sam Hauser can put in all the effort in the world. And then Al Horford getting backdoor cut there is just not something you come to expect from Al Horford of all the players on the team. And with Rob Williams out, Horford's playing that sort of anchor role and in drop. And like the idea of drop is that you're dropped back. So you shouldn't really be getting backdoor cut in that scenario. And yet he was. So they went up a lot. Just, I guess, to tie a bow on the, on the Bulls game here, Joe. They went up by a lot. There was a timeout. Some key players went to the bench. And then from that point onwards, there was just a total lack of clarity, a total lack of effort. And unfortunately, despite their best efforts in the third quarter, despite Marcus Smart's buzzer beating three to end mm. the second quarter, to end the first half, they just weren't able to come back. So... You know, the, the takeaway question, and we've kind of talked about it already, Joe, is like, how worried are you based on that performance going forward? It sounds like between the two of us, like, we're not, neither of us are particularly worried. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not particularly worried, but it's also, it's not nothing, man, getting blown out. Like, good teams don't tend to get blown, don't tend to get blown out like that. Um, but, yeah, it kind of reminded me of your, one of your best gags, I feel like, Ben, is the, the Seinfeld reference, you know. You can take the lead, but can you <laughs> hold the lead? <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. So, but it did look very sexy there in those first seven minutes and 50 seconds. The ball was really zipping around. The boys were really looking good. And Tatum, you know, we've talked about him a lot already, uh, was really at the forefront of all of that. So, 
just put that together for four quarters. Easier said than done. And uh, I'm I'm excited for the Cavs game coming up. The Bulls also beat us 60 to 45 on the boards and had 14 offensive rebounds overall. And I think Nikola Vucevic, who's not exactly like a down in the post, bruiser. you know what I mean? A bruiser. A bruiser. Thank bruiser. you, Joe. He's not exactly a bruiser, is he? That's concerning, though, right? That a guy as, you know, forgive me, but soft as Nick Vucevic can really bang that hard down low against us. Same any- thing. You think Nick Vucevic is as soft as the C sound in Vucevic? <laughs> uh, there's two wrong? C's. There's two C's and one's hard and one's soft. Yeah, oh, that's right. Maybe yeah. that's the conundrum of Nikola Vucevic. You've got you to step up your cultural European name pronouncing <laughs> knowledge there, Joe. <laughs> um, I think rebounding's been an issue for us since at least we started podcasting and it's mm-hmm. going to continue to be it. It's the most infuriating part of watching a game as a fan. Um, and, um, yeah, if we're not getting turn- getting turnovers is, like, probably going to be the lifeblood of this team um, while Rob Williams is out, I think. Um, yep. Yeah, so we've got to force turnovers, and that's going to require ball pressure. And, like, yeah, Al Horford and drop. I just wonder what that does for us mentality-wise. Like, you showed some of the early clips, and honestly, one of them was Al Horford was in drop, Derek White goes under the screen, and they just missed. You know, and sometimes like being lazy on defense can kind of have this effect where the, the offensive team gets lazy, or at least that's how it kind of works in pickup. You know, it's like if you don't close out, sometimes you get better results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit gets you know. wickets, as they say in, in cricket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely one of those just floating up my poor legs, but everyone <laughs> lines up to have a crack. Off my two overs, I'd get like two wickets for two wickets for forty runs. You know, <laughs> yeah. Old mate closes his eyes, has a big swing at the ball, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you look corner. like a genius. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Put three guys at mid wicket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. I, I I thought in that that early clip, the clip of the early defense. You talk about Eric Derek White going under the screen. I thought that one of the reasons I wanted to show that is because I thought that his hustle back to the point of attack after going under the screen was like really mm. like clearly defined, like it was obvious. And then mm. in those later clips, there was just a, a softness and a lack of urgency. So uh, mm. I thought that kind of really, really illustrated what was going on with the Celtics. And you want to say it's like correctable. You watch film and the feedback from the coaching staff, defensive coordinators, just like, just need to try harder in these mm. situations. But then we're dealing with like 20-year-olds out there constantly. Can they implement the try harder um, approach at all times? Uh, remains to be seen. At least... This team, we know they've got good defensive chemistry. They've put it on display. You know, there's a pretty good sample size of them being adequate defenders, even without Robert Williams. So you'd like to think of this as a blip, as an anomaly. Um, you can tell I'm trying to comfort myself here, Joe. But, and then we'll uh, see. Just give it 20 games, right? If it's an anomaly, it'll be an anomaly after 20 games. Um, yeah, well, we'll get you back on after not- game 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably when I'll be on next. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, some, some stats here before we move on to some uh, other unfortunate aspects of the Bulls game in multiple ejections. So I mentioned the Celtics. Maybe I didn't mention this. The Celtics are fourth in offense. I think I did per cleaning the glass. 119.6 points per 100 possessions. 24th ranked defense. Uh, 117.8 points allowed per 100 possessions. Joe, can you guess who's last defensively per cleaning the glass? I know it's not the Lakers. Aren't they like first or something random like that? What? I don't suck? know. 
I was only yeah. looking at the bottom and gawking. I didn't have a look at the Lakers, unfortunately. Um, I'm a casual NBA fan. I'm a fan of the Boston Celtics, so I'm like, <laughs> who really sucks? Um, who do we hate? It's an Eastern Conference oh, team. Oh, yeah, Philly. We hate Philly uh, and we hate New well, York. Well, we do hate them, but it's not, it's we not hate, Philly. It's the Nets. Well, do we hate Toronto? I actually love Toronto. It's the, it's Nets. the Nets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We hate them, too. Yeah, yeah they added that big defensive wing. You know, who was meant to elevate their perimeter. All, really, all Who's forms great of defense. Australian? Great Australian. Uh, hasn't really had much of an impact. So, uh, there you go. Just We're not doing the Schadenfreude report on tonight's podcast. So, just a little dipping our toes there. The Celtics are 26th in pick and roll score frequency defensively. So, teams are scoring on 47.5% of their pick and roll plays against the Celtics. And then we're That's 16th. That's pretty good efficiency, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for our opponents. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Uh, um, props to them. But we are, you know, pardon my French, fucking up our defense on pick and rolls. And then 16th overall in uh, second chance points allowed, which I thought was surprising given the amount of offensive rebounds that we're giving up. Well, look, very quickly, we had some ejections in this game. We'll start with a clip of Joe Mazzulla, first time head coach, fourth game ever as a head coach in the NBA, being ejected from the Bulls game. Into the teeth be fortunate that he got free throws out of that. Yeah, look at Tatum. I agree with Tatum. Vucevic. Oh, my goodness. What is going on here? Mark Davis just teed up Joe Mazzullo. And he's got thrown out. Mark Davis just threw Joe Mazzullo out of the game. So it seems from watching that, the point of contention for Joe Mazzullo was that Vucevic acted in a certain way, uh, an emotional sort of reaction to the play that had gotten Jason Tatum, I think, teed up earlier in the game. And mm. then Missoula runs out and sort of, you know, makes a big fuss of things. He, uh, I've got a quote here, Missoula went onto the court and made, quote, unsportsmanlike comments that led to the first technical. Davis said that he got a second technical because he continued to point and complain. Did you, did you think the refereeing in this game was dodgy at all, Joe? Because that was a lot of the conversation online as the game was going on. Like, and did you think that Missoula... Well, no. I mean, we've all seen the documentary, but you know what I mean. Did you think that Missoula deserved to get thrown out of this game? Um, yeah. Why not? I, I'm I'm not a big fan of I'm not a big fan of moaning at the ref. Say, just mm-hmm. like even if the other team gets over, just sack up and move on. Like it's just life, you know. I wouldn't mind seeing a little more resiliency. You can't just whinge when things don't go your way. Just play on, man. Put their energy into maybe, I don't know, like putting pressure on the ball, you know? Just just stay aggressive. Don't moan, man. It just, it's such so counterproductive, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know why players do it, you know? Like, it's one thing to have an emotional reaction. Like, ah, I can kind of relate to that. I just don't understand, like, moaning and moaning and moaning. So go ahead, tee them up. Get it, teach him his teach him his lesson early on. As far as I'm concerned, way better. Well, so How's what that about for a hot take? Scorching. Uh, <laughs> in the case of a a coach, though, like we've seen this with all the best coaches, going back to the like, like across all sports as well, like the idea of riding the ref, you know. And so I feel like Joe's entitled to that to some degree. And then <laughs> I what get about confused when people talk about Joe now? You know, when you hear your own name, you're yeah. Like, what did I do? <laughs> just as well, yeah. Ben Bentle never made the team, <laughs> or Ben Pepper for that matter. Yeah, well, I have a little pocket of Ben Simmons related depression somewhere in my soul <laughs> because of that. But Joe Mazzulla, 
you know, ejected yeah. from this game. And do, do you subscribe to the the notion of like the coach getting themselves ejected to light a fire under the team? And do you think that there was anything to that in Joe getting himself rejected, ejected rather in this game? I mean, it's and kind of an off kind of. It's like a bit of a trope, isn't it? You know, like I suppose. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just wasted energy. Like, focus. You, you you're not trying to beat the refs. You're trying to beat the guys in the other jerseys. Like, just focus on that. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it. I don't know. Look, maybe, maybe there's a statistical analysis that shows that when you know coaches do that, there is a uh, some sort of positive result that accrues to their team. But I'm just really suspicious that anything other than focusing on what you can control. Like, in almost all aspects of life, is that productive? You know. Yep. Um, you can you can tell it's a slow news day if we're breaking down the, breaking the various down the ejections. I, I mm. did. <laughs> I did have a clip of the great reje- uh, the ejection. I don't think I'm going to play it. I think there's it's pointless. Any any thoughts though at all, Joe, on, on Grant's ejection? He essentially, he went to draw a charge, got called for the block, got up to run away, and I think inadvertently drew contact with the referee. It's pretty much as simple as that, right? Is there anything to add? No, I got nothing to add. I got nothing to add. <laughs> I'm useless. <laughs> well, let's wrap this thing up. The Celtics, they play the Cavs on Friday night. That's uh, Saturday morning, Aussie time, Saturday Avo, New Zealand time, I'd imagine. Given, given everything that we've just discussed, Joe, how do you feel about this matchup against the Cavs? Obviously, the Celtics have struggled against size mm. in the past pre-elite Jason Tatum era, and now we're looking, staring down the barrel of Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley. You know, as far as size that we're come, coming up against in the league, like those are two of the biggest threats there. How do you envision this game going? Yeah, it's, it's not a great matchup for us, is it? It's also got two pretty good guys at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, Smart's going to have to earn his stripes a little bit on this one. If you're Defensive Player of the Year, you know you need to take one of these guys out of the out of the game. Um, yeah. I, I w- look, this is, you know, happiness is reality minus expectations, and my expectations aren't super super high. I'll be happy if we win this one. I think it's okay to lose to Cleveland. I think they should be a pretty good team. Yeah, but just don't yeah. get blown out. Don't don't get don't it. get blown out. Yeah. I- if no we, blowouts, no chokes. Other than that, we good. If we hadn't just lost against the Bulls, I think I'd feel the same way. And in our previous podcast, both myself and, and Wayne Spoonie, and I think Jake as well, talked about like the most likely game that we're going to lose, that we would possibly lose this week, would be the Cavs game. Mm. Now that we've just been blown out by the Bulls, I think we need to bounce back. And I think that the way that you know we defend pick and rolls, the way that we chase guys over screens, uh, just our overall defensive intensity is going to be really indicative and a really solid insight into like what the guys worked on, what the team worked on in this three-day off stretch. And I really hope that, you know, the, the emphasis in, in practice in terms of like, okay, that was shit. How can we recover from that? How can we implement that against the Cavs and come out with a victory? I really hope, like for a team that you kind of expect to win a championship or at least be in the mix to win a championship, that's the kind of like short-term turnaround I think you want to see to mm. sort of, uphold those expectations and so a loss coming off of that balls loss that balls blowout i think would be really disappointing whereas Mm. just like in a vacuum sure we could lose to the Cavs. and you know our guard rotation smart depoy 
Derek White is a solid enough defender. So is Malcolm Brogdon. You kind of hope that we've got the personnel there to at least, you know, um, run those guards, Garland and and Mitchell, off of what they do. Like personnel wise, like that's a that's an okay enough matchup. Personnel wise, for the bigs, that's a huge problem because as we know, as we've seen the drop off as soon as Horford goes to the bench, we're looking at Vonleh. We're looking at Cornette, who, like, despite all of the, the PR campaign for Cornette in the offseason, that just has not come to fruition as much as I would love it to. I just don't know. Like, we're just, and then it's Grant Williams, right? Who's 6'5, and as much as we love his motor, his energy, and his dad, uh, he's just not, <laughs> he's, he's not going to be able to give us enough of what we need. So, uh, a little, yeah. bit, little bit worried, a little bit concerned. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, Grant's, but Grant's, He's probably an okay rebounder for his size, but he's not an okay rebounder for his position. I love him, but mm-hmm. yeah, there is a hole there. Um, yeah, no, nah, it's a tough matchup. All I want to see is Tucker. Just want Tucker, Ben. You know? Yep. So we've Just ever wanted. Tucker. Yep. That's fine. If we lose, we show Tucker. So I agree. Very quickly before we go to uh, a very, uh, this is very much a non-basketball news item here. Jalen Brown has parted ways with Donda Sports Agency and the official statement from Jalen Brown was, uh, quote, in the past 24 hours, I've been able to reflect and better understand how my previous statements lack clarity in expressing my stance against the recent insensitive public remarks and actions. For that, I apologize. And in this, I seek to be as clear as possible. I have always and will always continue to stand strongly against any anti-Semitism, hate speech, misrepresentation, and oppressive rhetoric of any kind. In light of that, after sharing in conversations, I now recognize that there are times when my voice and my position can't coexist in spaces that don't correspond with my stance or my values. And for that reason, I am terminating my association with Donda Sports. And he goes on to say that he seeks to sort of continue you know, the, the good parts of that relationship, particularly the mentorship and, um, and sort of the influence on the, the younger, the crowd there that he was able to achieve via that relationship with Donda Sports. I don't know if we could really expand on this, Joe. Like you know, I said, it right, really to begin the podcast, it's like, yes, Kanye West comes out, says a bunch of like messed up shit about, you know, uh, various denominations, particularly Jewish people. And then, you know, Jalen Brown and now subsequently Adidas have um, severed ties with, with Kanye. And really the takeaway is just like, well, good, right? Like you probably should have done it sooner, but... I guess it's a win for for Celtics fans and Jalen Brown fans and Jalen Brown personally with all of the recent anti-vax stuff that's sort of like finally emerged and it's been clear like who maybe the the anti-vaxxer on the Celtics was. That sort of cast a bit of a dark cloud over Jalen Brown and then his like unwillingness to immediately part ways with with Kanye's sports agency here. Now he's finally made the move. It feels like just a a bit of a much-needed win Jalen? I've got lots of half-formed thoughts. Um, so oh, give probably- us one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, one half-formed thought is um, I think there's been this real narrow, like, capacity for forgiveness of public figures uh, lately. Um, and, like, there will be a school of thought that says, well, if you didn't drop Kanye straight away or you made unclear statements straight away, you know, um, you're kind of, you know, <laughs> Jalen Brown sort of forever tainted as a, maybe if not a racist, an enabler of a racist. 
And um, I just, I just, I don't think that's that productive, you know, in our public discourse. I think people should be able to change. But I also think that people should be able to, like, Jalen's a weird dude, man. Like, he's a weird guy. And people are going to kind of slowly realize that to me more and more. He's probably a really interesting guy. He's probably the most interesting guy to talk to on the cells. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine, you know, like in, if we yeah. were to bowl up to him, we'd probably be able to talk to him quite easy. Um, I also, if if he does have some view, like he's probably anti-vax, guys. Um, man, let him be a little bit too, you know? Like it's it's not like, man, we don't have to crucialize everything, right? To If that's a word that makes sense. Like not everything's a catastrophe. And, and I, I just, I'd like to see a good, healthy underreaction to the whole story, which mm-hmm. I'm probably not helping by having a reaction at all to it right now. <laughs> No, I think you are. And you know, to speak to the anti-vax stuff, like he didn't he didn't emerge as an anti-vaxer at a time where it really mattered, you know, where like people were looking for influences on whether or, or whether to or whether not to get vaccinated, uh, you know, mm. as opposed to Kyrie Irving, for example. So, as much as I am completely pro-vaccination and it can't really comprehend the thinking behind someone who is not I appreciate that Jalen Brown didn't make his voice heard at a time where people were listening for powerful voices in that space. And then as as far as how he's navigated this situation with Donda Sports, like, great, he made the right call and he took some time and some patience to sort of like survey what was going on before making the right call. But as a Celtics fan who just like loves the Celtics, loves Jalen Brown and wants everyone to feel the same way, it's more from a a position of understanding how online work culture reacts to things and like almost being protective and, and knowing how they'll right. react to, to that delayed reaction. He's made the right call, but it was like 24 hours too late and just being like somewhat concerned about the online opinion of Jalen Brown, which I can't help but care about, which I think is why we're talking about it. It's just like we want everyone to love Jalen and he might have shot himself in the foot just very briefly here with the delayed reaction to this situation. But most importantly, he's made the right call and he has distanced himself from, uh, from you know, online racism and, and, and hatred. I think also maybe we're a bit... I think we often paint people and in, in, we, we have too a simple view of, of why people do things. And if you're Jalen Brown, you're not signing with Kanye West's like sports agency because, you know, you think they're the best agents for you, Right. Like he's doing it to prove a uh, to prove a point or further a particular cause. Like there is some imperative that rates really, really highly in his thinking, right here. Whether it's you know he wants to support Blake businesses or whatever. And if 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 some cause like that is is really imperative, you're going to you're going to take the view that you know hey you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Mm-hmm. Right, that's what happens all the time. It, we all do this, and some we all make a choice. Oh, gee, my company shouldn't probably do that, but hey, I got to get paid. Well, hey, well, that's the way it is, right? You know, yep. we all do that. We all do that to a greater or lesser extent. And if Jalen's imperative, like he might, he might see, you know, what Kanye West was trying to achieve as like a genuinely just super, super important thing, and. People are going to be. You're gonna. Your natural response when someone makes a criticism of that is to 
really to try and minimize it. It's a real natural response. And hopefully people can recognize that in themselves. And 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 if you can recognize it in yourself, hopefully you can extend a little grace to someone to figure it out. Um yeah, and it'd be interesting to actually talk to him off the record and see like, he might not care that much about what Kanye said. He just realizes it's really bad PR. That might be the case. But I guess I'm trying to think the best of somebody, right? Like, and mm-hmm. if I'm Jalen Brown and I, I, I take a really weird, weird step in my career and sign with a sports agency, I've got a bigger aim than just business as usual, right? So, yeah, like if someone does that, Use that as a as a as a um a lens to understand the rest of their decision making. Maybe that's why he might have delayed making a decision about leaving. Right? He'd sure. have a lot of emotion invested in that decision. So anyway, a bit of a rant, as is my custom. No, no, I get you, and I think part of that lens that we we're all looking through was the recent anti-vax stuff, and people were like, "Whoa, shit! Okay, first this, and now this. Like that's problematic." Whereas if it had just sort of occurred in a vacuum people would be a little bit more forgiving about the decision-making process and the delay in that. So yeah, there's a few might things have, stacked there. Sorry, people go ahead. Might, people might not have been as quick to impute maybe Kanye's yeah. views to Jalen if that was the case. I think that's probably yeah. probably a fair point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'm I'm down my run sheet, Joe. I've gone through everything I want to go over. We've actually skipped a few things. We skipped the full... Grant Williams ejected segment. Uh, anything given that it's the first time we've had you on Out of this season? For yeah, <laughs> abs- of course. Yeah, huge fan of the show. Anything <laughs> else that you want to go over that's happened, you know, already in the season, or that you anticipate happening in the next couple of weeks that you want to touch on before we wrap up? Nah, man. Let's uh, let's catch up in a few games' time and see where we're at. Yeah, we've done fifty minutes after a blowout, so I think I think we've covered pretty much everything. That is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy the show, uh, I know this is a podcasting cliche, but please like, subscribe, <laughs> comment, leave a review on Apple, whatever platform you're on, interact Ben's, with us there. Ben's trying to crack that 1K. I know, we're so K. close. We're so close. So leave us a good review, preferably if you are going to leave a review. All of that stuff really helps with the algorithm and, and all that sort of stuff in terms of making us visible to uh, to potential new listeners. So thanks in advance for that. We're going to be back with another pod either right around the weekend or first thing next week. Joe, so good to have you back on, mate. Love your work. Thanks again. Cheers, mate. All right. Until next time, go Celtics. (laughs) 